So good. I think, I don't know about you, but for me, I know sometimes I underestimate the value of gratitude. And when you stop and just allow your heart to say thank you to God, uh, it really does something I think that's healing, that's powerful. It helps to stop the complaining and focusing on everything that's wrong. Um, I don't know. How many of you have ever done something called an Enneagram? Anybody ever heard of that before? Yep. So Enneagram is like a personality test, and they say there's nine personalities, and each one of us is one of those numbers. And we might have parts of the other numbers, but one of these. So I took this Enneagram a while ago. When I moved here, actually, Peter Renano, our supervisor, he's the one who really pushed me about it. So I was like, okay. And at first I didn't want to do it, which at the time I didn't know was a telltale sign of the actual number that I was. <laughs> so whatever. But <laughs> I didn't want to do it because um, I'm like, you can't box me into a personality. <laughs> well, I didn't know the whole time I was outing what my personality is, which is a number eight, which is considered the challenger. But in that personality, you tend to be the one that focuses on things that need to change, things that need to be better, how can we improve things, and you tend to be the one that like pushes to like, and, and so you can in this personality sometimes to not appreciate and stop and slow down and show gratitude and be thankful for where you are and be a bit content. And so of, I, I'm kind of preaching to the choir when I'm like, for me, I have to slow down and say thank you. Because otherwise, I'm always thinking about what could be, what needs to be, what do we need to change. And scripturally, that's not appropriate with the Lord. I have to slow down and say, Lord, thank you for what you have done. If you, don't, if you didn't do one more thing for me, what you have done for me is overwhelmingly enough. And that's important that we do that with our own souls. Uh, your mind and your heart need to hear that. It needs to hear it come out of your mouth. It doesn't good. It doesn't do much good for you to be in, even in a worship song or a worship set where everyone else says it, but you don't. Your own heart has to say it. Your own mouth has to say it. Has to say thank you. So, I just want to encourage you. Just take advantage of that. Take advantage of the. I feel like what is healing about gratitude. And it'll also help your family. Like, no one wants to be in a family where someone's always <laughs> grumpy about something, right? No. You don't want that. So it's good to be thankful. And even if you feel like, well, that's their duty. No, still say thank you to your husband for cooking dinner. Or say thank you to your wife for making the coffee. Or whatever the roles are in your house, it's still appropriate <clears throat> to say thank you, even if it's something they do every single day. I want to turn uh, to Luke chapter 4, if you would. Everybody have a good week? Yeah. Are we good? Angela had a good week. Anybody else have a good week? You're good? Are we friends? Okay. Um, while you turn to Luke chapter 4, I want to update you of what's going on with the church. Um, and I apologize. I'm not the best on updating because generally I'm not really worried about stuff. So, therefore, I kind of get to the end of the service. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should tell you what's going on with the church and with our location. So, I mentioned last week um, that we actually, our last Sunday here at the barn will be March 13th. That'll be the last Sunday here. Um, right around the beginning of the, right at the new year, we were served notice that we wouldn't be able to meet here anymore. I don't know what all is going on with this location and what they're doing here. I just know we can't be here. <laughs> so we have been busy, and thank you to everybody who came this week to help. Uh, Ann came yesterday. There's a good uh, 
bulk of things that are in the dumpster out there. And uh, we have still some more work to do this week um, to kind of get rid of some things that just, you know, spring cleaning is kind of like your own family. After you live somewhere for a while, you pile up some things that you you thought, well, we'll use that one day. And then you realize, well, yeah, we haven't used it for five years. Probably not going to use it again. So we're getting rid of those things. But we are in the process, have been actually for quite some time, looking and finding places. So I don't feel like we found our place where it's like we're going to settle in there. But we have options. So if we don't find the place that we know, hey, this is where we're going to call our new home, we have options of where we would move um, and so as we get closer and we make a definitive decision, like, hey, where are we going to meet on March 20th? You will know. You'll be the first to know. Um, it, but my hope is that still we'll find a place where we actually can just land there and we don't have to, like, bounce around or even go one place for a while and go to the next. But we're praying through it. You can agree with us in prayer. Again, I've stayed open. If there are options that you see around the community we have called many we have tracked down many i want to thank jeff paulus because he's been like our realtor in a lot of ways uh, he's very good at it and uh, has made some really good connections and even has found a couple opportunities of where we might be able to go uh, even if it's in the meantime so i don't want anybody to worry about oh are we going to have a place to meet 100 percent, yes we will have a place to meet but i'm really praying that the lord shows us like the home that we're going to land at for at least the next season of the church. So you can be praying about that. Does that sound good? And if you have more detailed questions, you're welcome to ask me uh, after church and I'll do my best to answer anything. There's no secrets. Everything's out in the open. There's, there's no other story except that uh, she wanted to repurpose either repurpose this building or sell it, or I, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but we uh, we're glad for the season we did have here. And we're going to move forward in Jesus' name. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to continue talking about the power of the word of God. And if you're taking notes, you could just title this, Win with the Word. W-I-N. Win with the Word. We want to win. You know, there's a lot of challenges out there right now. And I don't like to lose. I'm not necessarily the most competitive person, but I don't like to lose either. <laughs> um, particularly things that matter. You know, if you play a board game with me, you'll notice really quick, I don't care if you win. But if we compete in something that really matters, I really want to win. <laughs> uh, maybe if it's something that has uh, uh, monetary value to it or <laughs> something like that. But I don't necessarily like to lose that. I especially don't like to lose in things when it comes to the things of the Lord or the things uh, of eternal things. And so I want to read from Luke chapter 4, and I just want to let the words speak to us and highlight some things out of it. Luke chapter four, I'm going to start in verse one. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Everybody say hungry. Some of you are hungry right now. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, and this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. <laughs> 
Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Can you imagine? The devil say this to Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Even the devil knew the Bible. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I want to talk through this scripture because I think there's a lot more here than just the fact that Jesus was in the wilderness and he was hungry and the devil offered him food and offered him power and authority. I mean, that's like the top level, like 30,000 foot view, but I want us to really look at this and just see what the scripture actually says. Number one, Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness. And I've talked to many people who sometimes, who they think the wilderness is punishment, but did you know that actually the Holy Spirit can lead you into the wilderness of life for a season? Now he's not necessarily calling you to live there. But you can go into a place where you feel like it is a little dry and I'm a little hungry and I'm a little confused of what's going on here. And it's called wilderness. And the spirit of God can call you and lead you into the wilderness and you don't need to be afraid of it. You don't necessarily need to set up shop there, but you don't need to be afraid of it. In fact, this is not unlike the children of Israel who were supposed to have journeyed through the wilderness for a short time so that they could make it into the promised land. But yet in the same time, they came up against temptations, but they didn't recognize it was the devil. <laughs> they didn't recognize it was their own flesh. And they gave in to those temptations with grumbling and complaining. And they got sent into the wilderness for 40 years, not 40 days. Dear God, please let me be on the 40-day plan and not the 40-year plan. <laughs> right? So Jesus went through a very similar process. It's not unlike what they went through. And I don't think it's by chance that these numbers even align. 40 days, 40 years. You take your pick. But as he was in the, uh, in the wilderness where the Spirit of God had led him, in that place of where he had been led by the Spirit, he was tempted by the devil. Now just think about this for a second. You can be led by the Spirit and still be tempted by the devil? See, I thought if I'm led by the Spirit and I'm me and God are jiving, then the devil can't even get close to me. Well, I don't know what to do with that when I read the Scripture. <laughs> because apparently it is possible. Apparently it's possible to be completely in the will of God and be tempted by the devil all at the same time. Are y'all seeing what I'm seeing or am I making it up? Okay, I just want to, I want to be really clear because we're going to win with the word, but we're going to see, and we're not going to play around with games and, and, and kid ourselves to say, well, if you're perfectly in the will of God, it is easy, breezy, cheesy, right? Like you're just, it's rainbows and unicorns and popcorn. Like, because I really think that we get thrown off when we get and encounter challenges 
And we start to get all concerned, like, well, maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm out of the will of God. Like, maybe something's off. Maybe something's wrong. No, you might actually be smack dab in the middle of God's will, but you're being tempted. And that's what it is. It's a temptation. And that's what we Jesus called it. And that's what we see here, that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. Jesus was even fasting. I mean, the, the man is like leaning into the things of God. He is being directed by the Spirit. He's fasting. He ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Everybody say hungry. And the devil said to him, so we get this, we get this picture that he was tempted for 40 days, and we find at the, towards the end of that when he was hungry, and the devil said to him. Now, I have always had it in mind that these three temptations came within the span of those 40 days at some point. Now, maybe, I'm, maybe it's just me, but I really never broke it down to realize this scripture actually reads like he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. Only three of those temptations are recorded. I kind of interpreted it for a long time that there were only three temptations. All I see, and I'll show you in another scripture. We already read it, but I'll show you again where it actually indicates that there were more than three temptations. We only are told about three of them. But at the end of those 40 days, when he was hungry is when we see these three temptations come into play. That's the way it reads. Now, is that 100%? Well, it could read differently than it actually happened. But this is the account that was inspired by the Holy Spirit of how to convey it to us. And the devil said to him while Jesus was hungry, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. In other words, the devil came to supply something that Jesus had need of in that moment. Now, please catch this because you're not going to be tempted with something you don't need. <laughs> that's not a temptation. That's a distraction, <laughs> but that's not a temptation. You're tempted with things you feel like you need. You could also say that you're tempted with things that you want. Like anybody ever like gone off a uh, sugar or bread and you like fasted bread for a while? How many of you know the first few days, if somebody says you want a piece of bread, you're like, yes, put butter on it while you're at it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it, why? Because that's tempting. It's tempting. It wouldn't be tempting if I hate bread and I'm allergic to it and it's going to like turn my insides inside out. That's not temptation. That's just you like distracting me, kind of get out of my way. But temptation is trying to meet a need that you really do have or a want that you really do have. And so the devil knows exactly the moment to come, the end of the 40 days. He's hungry. He has not eaten anything, which I can't imagine not eating for 40 days. I've known some others to do it. And, and while I've seen others do it, they look emaciated. They look not well. Their skin changes color. I mean, it's, it's an intense process. So it's no wonder the devil comes at the end of that after you've spent all of this time tuning into the things of the Spirit, trying to be right with God, and he comes at the end of it, and it's like, why don't you just take this bread? Why don't you command that stone to be turned to bread? In fact, why don't you take matters into your own hands? Why don't you provide for yourself? Why don't you make it happen? And I, I just know we are all tempted with this. Make it happen. You, have you, I mean... That is the way our world teaches you to handle stuff. You make it happen. Take care of yourself. Anybody ever heard that before? Take care of yourself. 
You gotta, you gotta take care. You gotta do it yourself. You gotta take care of your family yourself. And I'm telling you, we have all either have at least been tempted with it. Most of us, if we're being honest, have probably fallen into the trap once or twice. If you haven't, then the person near you, next to you, has done it for sure. <laughs> Where this is like, this is a temptation. But I want you to notice how Jesus answered this temptation. Now, he didn't answer this temptation by being like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm having this thought. I can't believe that I'm even hearing the devil. Like, what do I do? I need to rebuke. No, he just said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus responded to the temptation with God's word. Y'all see that? He responded to the temptation with God's word. And I know there is going to be the feeling of like, that's too simplistic. I, but I just have to come back to what Jesus did because when you're really tempted by the devil, you know the stakes are high. And if I miss this, it's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for my family. And so for me, I'm looking to see, well, what did Jesus do? And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So the enemy brings a lie. Jesus brings truth to it. And it's like a missile and a torpedo to that temptation. And bang, the devil moves on. That's what happened here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now that is something. The devil is basically saying, I have all the kingdoms of the earth. If you worship me, I'll hand them over to you. Which, number one, Almost every word of that sentence is a lie. But there was something already stirred in Jesus because of what the Spirit of God had been doing into him that the enemy was providing a shortcut to Jesus because how Jesus was going to obtain the salvation of many was going to be through the death on the cross. He was offering him a shortcut. He was offering, you don't have to go through what you know you're going to go through if you just bow down and worship me. I won't require you to give your life. I'll give you all the things without sacrifice. Y'all see what I'm saying? Because the, 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 the Philippians says this, that because Jesus, who didn't consider it robbery of God to be equal with God, emptied himself, making himself like a servant, a bond servant, and came to this earth and he gave his life. He died the death of a sinner. And because of that, Philippians says that God has exalted his name above every name and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue con should confess. Like God said, because of your sacrifice on the cross, I will give you the very thing that Satan tempted him with here in the desert. In the, do you see what I'm saying? So the enemy offered him the shortcut. That was the temptation. Every single one of us will be tempted with a shortcut. And the shortcut is you don't have to sacrifice to get to where I'm offering you to go. I'll give it to you without the sacrifice. And it's a lie. And it's deceptive, but it's a temptation. 
And I think we need to give ourselves permission to call it a temptation because otherwise we'll all fool one another and be like, oh, I'm not tempted with that. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'll, I, like, no problem. And it's like, no, just acknowledge that there, there is temptation to shortcut. I, I personally have felt this temptation to shortcut. You don't have to move across the country and fulfill God's call on your life. You don't have to leave all the things that you and your wife had sown into and done there. You don't have to make that kind of sacrifice. I'm sure it could happen. God can use you anywhere. <laughs> this stuff's real. Especially when you start to really hear God about what his plan and purpose is for your life. And then you start to get tempted. Is there another way for me to get what God has for me without actually sacrificing? And this is how Jesus responded to the enemy who was providing him an opportunity to do or to get something that Jesus knew he was going to get on the cross. He says, it is written, or actually he's first said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. This is scripture. So you notice there is a temptation, which is really a lie. And Jesus doesn't sit there and have a discussion with the enemy about this. Well, tell me a little more about this uh, proposal that you have there. Well, let me research it. Let me Google it. Let me learn a little bit more about this, this plan that you've got here. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. See, I know in my own life where I get tripped up is when I, because I wish the, the devil just showed up like with a pitchfork and horns and in a red cloak and it was like that obvious. Don't you wish it was just like that obvious, like, oh, that's the devil. But it's usually not. It comes in thoughts. And I'll sit there and I'll entertain thoughts that are shortcuts. And the more I entertain the thought, the more I get lulled into thinking that's even an option. When the, what I should do and what I know to do, according to scripture, is don't even entertain it, answer it with scripture. But we sometimes like to process when we really need to use the word as our weapon and say no. No, I'm not talking about ignoring your own emotions and things of your own soul. But this isn't a soul issue. This is the devil. And you have to know the difference between the two. This is a temptation brought by Satan. This is not just a weakness or a flesh thing. This is Satan's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut, which would ruin the plan of God for the salvation of the world. The implications would have been huge. Verse 9, then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is so interesting to me because even the devil knew how to deceive with scripture. Like he will use the Bible to get you. And here's how I know, because I have heard people manipulate the Bible to say a lot of things it don't say. 
In fact, this specific scripture where it says he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. I have literally seen in like, you know, the Christian bookstores that have like those beautiful paintings and they have scriptures on it. I have literally seen this quoted scripture with Luke chapter four, where they'll write verse 10, Luke 4, 10, where Satan is quoting scripture and they'll put it on this beautiful picture because they don't even know the, you could have used it, the original version of this, not Satan's quoted version. Because they don't have that foundation to know the Bible well enough. But I've seen people do way worse than that, where you manipulate Scripture to say something it's not saying. Well, Satan does that too. And he'll take Scripture, and he'll tweak it, and he'll work it out for his own benefit. And we all have to be careful for that. Don't manipulate Scripture to say something it doesn't say. Just read it and let it speak for itself. So Jesus is hearing this quoted scripture, but Jesus answered right there, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, Jesus was like basically saying, put it to the test, or excuse me, Satan was saying, put it to the test. If you're so great, show us how great you are. And Jesus didn't fall into the trap of performance. Like I've got to perform something. I've got to show off for you. I've got to show how much God's committed or any of those things, what the angels do. No, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he answered again on this third time with the truth of God's word. Verse 13. Now, when the devil had ended every, and I, this word every, you could also translate it as every kind of temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. So these two indications, first at the very beginning that I mentioned, as far as that in the 40 days that Satan had tempted him, he had been tempted for 40 days by the devil. And this last sentence of saying, when the devil had ended every kind of temptation, he departed from him. The only reason why I want to bring this up is because sometimes we allow the enemy to condemn us for temptation, but it is not a sin to be tempted. And I, 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 I am sorry for, I think, what has been an unhealthy season of the church at large, not Hagerstown Foursquare necessarily, but the church at large where we stopped letting people confess temptation because people started feeling like the fact that I'm tempted means I'm a sinner. And it's like, no, you're tempted because you're human and the devil is real and he's tempting you. That's a temptation. And so let's answer temptation with the word, not with condemnation. But when you feel condemned, you hide rather than confess. And in confession is where, and confession is just saying, this is something that I've been dealing with. And especially if you're having a hard time with it and you don't feel like you have the word in your heart enough to address the enemy with the word. Well, then confession says, or just at least saying with your mouth, like, I feel tempted gives the opportunity for another believer to strengthen you. But somewhere along the line, it got weird where it's like, if you confess that you're tempted, you're not strong enough. And I read this and I'm like, even Jesus Christ was <laughs> tempted and he was pr pretty strong. His faith was pretty solid. But somewhere we got wackadoo where our faith in temptation got kind of opposed to one another and it became like, well, if you really have faith, you're not tempted. 
And that's baloney. That's baloney. Because Jesus was full of faith and yet was still tempted. And he was tempted in the middle of God's will in the wilderness. So I want to help somebody. If you have been dealing with temptation, that's not sin. But how you deal with temptation is very important so you don't fall into temptation. And when you fall into temptation, it means when the bread's offered, you take it. Or the shortcut's offered, you take it. Now, that's when you start to get into the issue of sin, which Jesus still has an out for. So regardless of where you find yourself in this, thankfully, there is redemption and there is help available for you. But I want to talk about how we win with the word. It's uh, amazing to me as I've counseled people over the years, what can be to one person an obvious lie that they have believed. Like when you hear someone out of their mouth say something that they believe about themselves or something they believe about someone else, to you it is like obvious, that's a lie. But in their own soul, they believe it. In their own heart and mind, they believe it. And so one of the ways that you address these things is you have to come back to the word. Because there is something of God's word that cuts through so much deception and lies and things that we even believe about ourselves. And that word will obliterate the enemy's hold of being able to manipulate you anymore. That's what we saw with Jesus. All the way to the point where it says, so Satan left for a more opportune time. Which, by the way, for me, as I have read that scripture before, helps me to know there are moments in life that are an opportune time for the enemy. Where, again, I could still be in the will of God, but it'd still be an opportune time where the enemy could try to come and take advantage of my hunger or my lack of content, or especially in transition, the enemy can come and start to offer things that are temptations. And I have to be attuned and I have to be sharp to that so that I know to answer with the word, not with my own logic or with my own reasoning. This really gets into a couple other scriptures that I want us to talk through. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 really talks about this, but I don't know if we always tie the two in together, but I want to do that today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments or thoughts. And every high thing, every spiritual thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity in the obedience of Christ. So this is what Paul is teaching to this church. He's basically saying, just a church just like this in a place called Corinth. And he, he was telling them, listen, our weapons are not swords and bombs. Oh, they didn't have bombs at the time, but they're not, they're not arrows. They're not catapults. They're not, uh, you know, ramming devices to break through the gates of a city. That's the, those are not our weapons. We don't have the, those are not for us. But it does say this, but our weapons are mighty in God. But this is what our weapons are for, pulling down strongholds. And I'll come back to what strongholds are. Casting down arguments. If, you have, if you're taking notes, beside arguments, you can also translate that same word as thoughts. Thoughts. 
thoughts. In other words, this is not an outward argument. This is not coming to another human being, and we're arguing, and so I need to cast you down. This is not external. This is internal. This is an internal thought life issue, and it's saying our weapons that God has given us has been to help cast those arguments down. What I don't hear Paul doing is condemning these people for having internal arguments. He's giving them the keys of how to win. And most of us, not most of us, some of us maybe, but I've seen a lot of people like this where they don't engage the fight because they feel so condemned that it's even a fight. They feel like I shouldn't be in this place. I should be further along. Anybody ever had that thought about your Christian life? I should be further along than I am. And you have this condemnation and that condemnation, if you're not careful, keeps you out of the very fight that we're all engaging together. Unfortunately, you will never graduate out of warfare. <laughs> that may not be the best news today, but <laughs> it is true. And I think if we live in a false reality where you think you'll become a good enough Christian one day where there are no more struggles and you never have a bad thought and you're never tempted, well, you are waiting for a false reality and therefore you will get discouraged and you may not make it. But I, if you're like me, I want to live in full reality. So tell me the truth. If I'm going to be in a war until the day I die, please tell me. <laughs> then I don't mean every day is going to be like, we're in warfare. But there is something where I know what to do when I have an argument or an internal thought that comes that is misplaced and is not scriptural. I want to know what to do with it. And the reason why I'm bringing it up here is because the enemy, when he comes to tempt you with certain things, does not come in a red cape and with horns and a pitchfork like on Halloween. He comes with thoughts. He comes with thoughts. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Anybody besides me experience this? Like I have, I, I know this because I have walked this out. I have lived this. You say, Re really? Yes, recently. Like yesterday. Why? Because there are opportune times where he's like wanting to distract. And especially once you start to step into his territory trying to pull these things down. Oh, he doesn't like it. But see, the difference that I know is I know what to do. And I don't sit around all day freaking out. Oh, why am I feeling this way? What's going on? No, I know what's going on. And I will cast down every argument. And then it look, look at this. And every high thing. That exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's the high things? These are spiritual hosts. These, this is spiritual things, just like the devil when he came to, to Jesus. That's a spirit. So he's coming as a spirit body to tempt Jesus. And there was a bringing that under the obedience of Jesus Christ, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So notice the theme here. These are unseen things. Listen, these are unseen things. They're internal. They're going on in you. They're going on in your mind. This war is inside of you. In fact, there's another portion of scripture that I ministered out of in Romans chapter 13 this last week. And it says that there's, and in Galatians chapter five, it says that there is a wrestling inside of us, that there's this part of us, the flesh that wants to do its own thing, sinful nature. And then there's this other part of us that is the spirit of God that wants to do right. And that all of us have that war going on. 
all of us feel days where it's like, I want to do God's will. And then there are other days where you wake up and you're like, I'm not even a Christian. <laughs> where there's a war. It's like, I want to submit. And then there are other days I want to do my own thing. And you're like, how is that possible? How do I have two things, two mindsets going on? Because you got two parts of you. And so this is talking about here is how you win the internal battle and how you pull down strongholds. What are strongholds? This is from verse four. Strongholds are thoughts that have been in your mind a really long time. These are patterns of ways that you've thought. And now they're so fixed. They're like a habit. And so they're not going to come out probably day one. So you're not probably the scripture like where Jesus said one spoke one scripture to it and it just obliterated and, and Satan walked away after three. This is probably for those of us who say, you know what, I've been tempted and I've given into it and I've had these thoughts and I didn't handle it the right way. And so now it's a stronghold. So this is saying that there is a weapon for that. Hallelujah. There is a weapon for that. There's a weapon for that. There is a way with the truth of God's word to undo the unhealthy thought patterns that we have about ourselves and about others and about God. I'm so thankful for these scriptures. You know why? Because it helps me know I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. But that 2,000 years ago, this was happening in Corinth. That's why Paul's teaching it to them. They were having unhealthy thought patterns and things that were really threatening them to be able to obey Christ and do what Jesus was calling them to do. And so Paul's giving them the weapons to handle it. Let's look at verse six, because you might say, well, what are the weapons? Or excuse me, Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, let's verse, uh, look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, very similar, same writer, Paul's writing this to the uh, um, church of Ephesus. So same theme, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. All of these are unseen, can't see them. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to just, I'm not going to take the time to break each one of these down, but when you really look at each of these elements of the armor of God, and if you grew up in you know, church, and some of you did, some of you didn't, but at least in the church that I remember, you you would actually like go through the motions. Like we're going to put on the helmet of salvation. We're going to put on the breastplate. And I think that's a great way to memorize and to think about these things. But when you really look at each of these elements, they come back to the word of God. They come back to the word. The gospel is the word. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. The shield of faith is the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness, who you are in Christ, the reality and the knowledge of that comes from the word of God. Because you you can't have this, this breastplate, this, this armor, almost like what we would call like a bulletproof vest on you 
when you don't know who you are in Christ. Well, how do you know who you are in Christ? The word. It's the word that tells you that you are not under condemnation, but you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Like you are fully right with God. But if you walk around not knowing that, you are wide open to the enemy. It's like walking around without that on. If it were automatic, Paul would not be teaching this to us. If you were just could be a Christian, and as, as long as you make Jesus Lord, you're protected inside and out, everything, then Paul wouldn't be teaching this because he's teaching this to believers. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So this isn't automatic. This isn't like, hey, as long as Jesus is Lord of your life, then don't worry about anything. We, uh, we can't oversimplify the word so that we just can live in neutral our whole life and we don't take responsibility. No, there's something about this where the word gives you a reality of who you are. And when you know who you are, the devil can't penetrate that. And Jesus, what I read from Luke chapter four is our example. He was in the will of God. He was in the wilderness and he was tempted. But because he had the breastplate of righteousness, in other words, he had not sinned. He knew he was fully right with God. So when Satan would try to tempt him with that, it couldn't land. He knew what the gospel was and that he was the one to deliver it. Satan couldn't tempt him with that. He had the faith of what God's word and the reality of God's word. That's why with every temptation, he would answer it with the word. He would answer it with the word. So th this, this armor, this way that he would address the attack of the enemy and what even Ephesians is saying, how we will wrestle and even fight against uh, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age is this. It's where you, you have the reality of God's word. I'm not talking about just memorization so that you can get a checklist checked off. I'm talking about you, you know it. That it is in you. That you don't, you don't just know it, you actually believe it. So that when somebody comes up or maybe a thought comes up and says, you're nothing. Like, and everybody knows that everybody, it, these thoughts are real. Everybody knows you're nothing. You're a fraud. There's something nowadays called imposter syndrome. Have you heard of that? Where people have this fear that they're trying to be something they're really not. And so there's this, what they have is they call it imposter syndrome. But I think it's really a, an attack of the enemy after people's identity. To make them feel like an imposter. But you know what? If Jesus is Lord of your life, you're not an imposter to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not an imposter. You say, well, you don't know what I did yesterday. You being right with God and Jesus being Lord of your life has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. But you have to know that otherwise those thoughts will get to you like a dart. That's the imagery that we see in the word. So this is how we win. And I know that probably one of the things that we all, 100% of us, need and can do better is how to win our thought life. All of us. I'm, I will be chief. I will be front in line. First in line. So this is not a message of like, y'all need to do better. This is, no. This is the keys. This is God's love and his word saying, this is how you're going to win this thing. But if you don't recognize that temptations come to everybody, they came to Jesus, 
that temptations can come to you when you're right smack in the middle of God's will that happened to Jesus, then you don't engage. And so I just feel God calling us, engage the fight. Don't be under condemnation that you're in the fight. This is just part of being the believer and the fact that the enemy hates you and you're a target. So you engage it, but you don't engage it with, oh, I need to listen to more podcasts and I need to do this and I need to do that. Though none of those things are bad as supplemental, but what's really going to handle spiritual things is God's word. That's what's going to handle spiritual things. So I feel some of, in fact, in my last scripture, James 4, 7, just says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. And I don't want to over, or I'll, I'll say it like this. I don't want to not acknowledge that sometimes this is tough. That's why it's called wrestle with flesh and blood. That's called why it's called for the weapons of our warfare. This is not patty cake. No, I think it's good for us to acknowledge it, right? Because otherwise you can get this feeling like either myself or even scripture is just kind of glossing over the struggle. Oh, no, it's not glossing over it. It's calling it what it is, which is war. And war is messy and war is full time. Doesn't You don't get breaks from it sometimes. But this is how we win. This is how we win, and we stick to it, and we stick to it, and we stick to it. And that's why we're in a community of believers. And more and more, I'm so stirred about how even these, these letters were written to groups of people. So when they would hear things like this, they did not translate it the way you and I translate it in our culture. They read it as a communal agreement of here is how we will live our life. So it was understood that you're not on your own to do this for the weapons of our warfare. Hello? The weapons of our warfare. So he's even saying, like, there is a communal effort in this of where together we'll make it. But if you try to go, like, I got to do this on my own, and I can't tell anybody that I'm being tempted. I can't tell anybody that I'm wrestling over this. I can't tell anybody that I'm struggling then you're already halfway lost. But there is something about the fact that together these, these letters were written to whole groups of people so that together they could win. So I pray that through this year that together we'll help one another, that together we'll use the right weapons, we'll use the word of God, not against one another, but against the devil against spiritual hosts of wickedness, against unseen things, and allow the Lord to help us. Amen. This is good. I helped myself today, at least. <laughs> well, this is really good because the Lord, he doesn't want you to be tormented. He doesn't want you to be tormented. He doesn't want you to be underneath this. We don't want you to be. I don't want you to be. So these are ways that you resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to God. Resist the devil actively and he will flee. Let's pray today. God, thank you so much for your word.
Lord, I thank you that even in Scripture, you showed us that Jesus himself was tempted. So I don't need to feel condemned for being tempted myself. But Lord, I help. I pray that you would help us discern that some of the thoughts we've been having, the temptations that we've had are not just ourselves, but they're the devil. And so Lord, I pray that you'd fill our mouth with your word so that we respond with the lies of the enemy, the temptations of the enemy with the word of God. with the word of God. Lord, I pray that as a community, you would help us to help one another to fend off the enemy with these weapons, with this armor of God that you've given us. Help us as a community where maybe I'm weak in one area that someone else could be strong in that area and help me. And Lord, help me if I'm strong in an area to not condemn someone who's weaker, but just to come alongside of them and use my weapon for their benefit. Lord, I thank you that you're maturing us. You're teaching us. Your word is bringing confidence to us, that breastplate of righteousness is laying on us as like a bulletproof vest so the enemy can't land a target on our heart or on our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to do this before we're going to close in about two minutes, but Right where you're at, I would love for you just to take a minute if you got a piece of paper or your phone or something, and maybe just write down, if you haven't already, what's an area where you know, uh, that's been a temptation and I need to address it with the word. Maybe it's like Jesus, a temptation to shortcut or a temptation to provide for yourself or a temptation to tempt the Lord and, and, and per, like a performance. Just acknowledge it. If you need to, you can look up scripture that will address it or ask somebody else to help you find scripture that addresses it so that you can answer the temptation with God's word. This is how we win.